You are tuned in to CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio, and we have Brennan and Jody and Dave, and we will hear from Craig and Hank, where we haven't heard from them for a couple weeks. Hank's been a little under the weather, and it's good to have them back. So today, we are going to talk about uh, some Valentine's suggestions for you, since that's right around the corner, uh, some movies and some comics. Uh, Dave and I watched the uh, documentary Polystyrene, I Am a Cliché, and Brennan's been reading a little bit of Tom King lately. So let's lead with that, Brennan. Tell us about why you love Tom King. Well, besides being a great writer, uh, he's a great writer. And I really like the way he takes up a superhero's personality, and he likes to kind of lean into some of those corners, maybe their imperfections, but always presents it in a way that's really fun and enjoyable. I know other writers like to do this too, where they'll kind of turn the inventions on their head a little bit. Garth Ennis, a member, notably said how much he doesn't like Green Lantern. And so when he got to do Hitman comic, the very first guest star he had, I think was Guy Gardner. And they said, why did you pick Green Lantern? Guy Gardner, if you don't like Green Lantern. And he said, well, because Green Lantern is the most stupid one. So I find sometimes Garth Ennis will go the other way, poke more fun of it, whereas Tom King does it a bit more lovingly. That being said, my comics also fit in with our, our Valentine's Day topic coming up, and that was completely not on purpose. So I had other things picked, and then I was on the Twitter machine last night, and uh, I followed Tom King, because I follow a lot of comic book writers and artists, and he mentioned that his newsletter on Substack was being revealed tomorrow. And I was like, what is this? Am I like breaking news? It was actually on January 31st. I didn't read the date. But here I thought I kind of came across something that was brand spanking new. So there is a site called Substack, which I never heard of before. It was called the best new writing app or program in 2020. And it's a way that writers can release their work and basically be paid directly from their readers. So it's like a subscription service that you own your property. You can sell it right away. Substack is now launching their own high-profile comic project uh, with six writers. So the one that I first found out, so Tom King and Elsa Cartier are doing a comic. Grant Morrison is doing his own independent publication. Brian K. Vaughn and Nico Henry, Henry Kahn. Sorry, Nico, I probably announced that wrong. Uh, a solo project by Jen Bartel and the already mentioned Tom King and the Elsie Cartier book. So these quite well-known comic book creators are going on Substack to release their own project. So the one that Tom King and uh, Elsa Cartier are doing is called, as I scroll up, Love Everlasting. So right away the cover, there's this couple, it looks like a 19 sort of 50s love story and they're embracing and I love you, Joan, and I always will. And I love you, George, and tomorrow I'll be your bride. And of course, there's a big explosion, fires coming in because it's a Tom King story. So you know for a fact, it can't just be a, a typical love story. So it follows this woman by the name of Joan in the 1950s, and she moves to the big city to find her dreams. And she is living with her best friend who is dating a man named George. And of course, Joan loves George, but she can't do anything about it. But she gets a job being his secretary and she does a good job. And eventually through you know the fate and the way things happen, they fall in love. So issue one, very 1950s, romance comic even the dialogue sort of sounds a lot like a romance comic uh the artwork i love it's like darwin cook mixed with bruce tim kind of thing so very stylized uh very slick 
uh, heavy lines, but still with a lot of facial expressions, a lot of movement. And just when you think, think things are going great for Joan and George, suddenly Joan is in the 1960s and she meets a man named Kit. But she remembers this man named George and she's not quite sure why. So this one follows her as she meets Kit and they have a love story. And then in issue three, she's suddenly living on a ranch somewhere. And she remembers a George and a Kit and she's not sure why. And it goes on and it goes on. And of course, by the time you get to the last page, it's about a four part story told in 24 pages. And it leaves you on a cliffhanger. Um, it's really good. I'm not a huge digital comic fan, but this comic is really good. Uh, art is great. Tom Green is, Tom King is, is wonderful. You get the comic for free if you subscribe to the email newsletter, but like Patreon and other things, you can subscribe for more anywhere from $6 a month, $60 a year, up to $250 a year. And each package comes with its own specials. So you get behind the scenes look, you can get um, original artwork, first dibs on things. I think for the first 50 subscribers, Tom King will actually send you one of his original sketches. So wow. I don't know if you know this, but Tom King started doing his own doodling at comic cons because he was a writer and he's known for doing very bad doodles. And now it's the thing, people want to buy his doodles. So that's part of the part of the package. So I'm looking more into Substack. This is totally new for me. The nice thing I do like though, um, when you get one of the higher pay grades, you can actually get a physical form of the comic. So I'm not sure if this is something that they're just doing on their own. I'm not sure if eventually it will go through stores. But um, if you get the online version of it, you kind of get it first. But you can still get a physical copy if you want it. So I find the mark. I find it really interesting. I find the space really interesting. I'm actually just really happy I came across another Tom King book that I really like. Even though it's in digital form, I'll you know I'll let it slide this time. But it's quite good. So if you want to sign up for free, uh, go to Substack, check it out. Uh, it's called Everlasting Productions and uh, Love Everlasting. It's it's good. It's romantic. It's quantum leap. It's who knows what it is. It's only the first issue. Cool. Well, it's always awesome to discover a new format. And uh, sounds like there's lots of treasures there. So I will definitely take your hot tip and go and check that out as well. All right. Thanks, Brennan. All right. Well, we watched a documentary this week called Polystyrene. I am a cliche. It actually came out last year. It was put out and it won a couple of awards. Um, I think Sky helped fund it. And it is the story of Marianne Joan Elliott Said. She was polystyrene, the lead singer of X-Ray Specs, pivotal pioneering punk band of the 70s. And it's her story. And her story is important because one, she's a woman in a very male world. She is half black, half white. She doesn't really fit in anywhere. And she certainly didn't fit into that like kind of skinhead world. And it talks about that. And I think her story is really important and really cool and really interesting. But I found this documentary a tough watch. It's written and directed by her daughter, Celeste Bell. And just tell the story and you'd have something great. But instead, they got to get fancy and try to like create this frame for it, where it's like her daughter's revisiting all the places she went and all the things she did and, and has this running narrative over everything. Her voice is really annoying. It is poorly written and it sounds like she's reading. It does. I mean, you get something out of that personal family connection in the film that maybe you wouldn't get if an outsider was involved. I think Celeste 
Bell needed to be involved in this movie in some way, but her holding the reins of doing the voiceover narration and taking us through the story of her mother's life, uh, it just maybe should have been left up to somebody a little bit more qualified. Not that the movie isn't worth watching, um, but we did have to watch a fairly short doc in three chunks because we just kind of, I, I, this is the same way I feel about Kanye. It's like, you're obviously talented. You've obviously got something to say, but if you're a rapper and your voice is annoying, that's a deal breaker for me. Like I, I, I can't enjoy what you do without listening to your voice. And if I don't like the sound of your voice, then I'm not really gonna enjoy what you're doing. And that's a little bit how I felt about I Am A Cliche. Having said that, I think the bar for Artie Rock Docs is about as high right now as maybe it's ever been. Coming on the heels of, was it the Todd Haynes movie mm -hmm. about the Velvet Underground? And a few years before that, the uh, Jim Jarmusch Rock Doc about Iggy and the Stooges. Now you're talking about real like art house film directors doing the story of the band they love more than any other band in the world and creating some really great film. Maybe if we had seen I Am A Cliche five years ago, we would have been more blown away by it with sort of a lower bar. But you really, you really have to bring your rock doc game these days. You do. And it ended up feeling a lot like Jacob Dylan down in the canyon, I think it was called. He made this documentary about like the, the canyon 60s hippie scene, yeah, which California is canyon. super interesting and great guess, but it was all about him. It all ended up being him and his concert recreating these songs and him interviewing these like icons of folk and rock. And that's what happened here. Celeste Bell, it's all about her. It sort of felt like a bit of a cha-ching a little bit more than a, than a like homage to her mother. It really kind of felt like, hey, look at me. Oh, and I have a famous mother. One thing I will say about it is that a lot of these movies, like I, I'm thinking of the ZZ Top documentary we watched on Netflix, like a, a maybe about a year ago where it follows this trajectory of, okay, at the beginning, they're young, the band's getting together, you're hearing things about the music that you maybe didn't know. Then they get popular and there's a big boom and you're sort of riding the adrenaline of the rise of the band. Those movies have a really hard time with the third act. Mm -hmm. You're looking at the later stages of the band's career and they feel a duty to cover it, even though it's far from the most exciting part of the story. That really didn't happen with Polystyrene, I am a cliche. The, the final third of the story still had enough energy, still had enough life in it that I, I didn't feel like it tapered off towards the end. It was just a little bit problematic throughout, but still a great story to be told that's probably not going to be told again. And hopefully this just is a watch that will lead people to other watches and maybe maybe more listens too. Yeah. Just enough cool moments to kind of keep the viewer going. Like there was a point where I was just getting, almost thinking like maybe I'm gonna turn this off. And then you get to see X-Ray Specs playing at CBGB's with a young Thurston Moore in the front row. And it's like, uh, uh, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll hang in there a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, that is very much how it was. There are a few carrots that keep you going, but otherwise there's no dip. All right, well, let's throw things over to Craig and to Hank with their pop culture picks. It's been a long haul, fellas, so lay on some good stuff. You've certainly had enough time to find some good things for us. And when we come back, we'll talk Valentine's Day.
Hey, everybody, this is Craig Sillifin on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM. And I am here, as usual, with my good friend, Hank Cruz, who uh, you may have noticed we haven't been on for a couple of weeks. I assume you haven't been sleeping at night because we haven't been on for a couple of weeks. My good friend, Hank Cruz, had a bout of the COVID, but he's pulled through. The vid, man, the C-19 is what they call it on the streets. That's right. And uh, he was looking alive. Think, uh, like an extra from The Walking Dead for a couple of weeks there. But uh, he's pulled through. He's come out the other side. And, I'm alive. Uh, he's alive. And he's here to join us today. And I think we're going to, we actually have a long list of shows to talk about because we haven't talked to each other in a couple of weeks. But they also just dropped the Oscar nominations this week. So I think we're going to maybe visit some of those shows in the next couple of weeks and talk Oscar nominations today. Yes. So Oscar nominations, uh, there was a few snubs in there, a few a few shocking things that I was like, really? But uh, let's talk Best Picture. Uh, so Belfast is nominated. Uh, have, you, have you watched Belfast? No, I, I actually started it and watched about 10 minutes of it and realized I wasn't in the mood for it. But I, like, uh, I, it's one of the ones that I most want to go back and uh, check out. So the nominees are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Now, out of all of those, I have seen them all but Drive My Car, but you told me that I need to watch Drive My Car, and I'm still trying to, it hasn't hit uh, anywhere where I can rent it or anything yet, so I want to see that one. But other than that, I've seen the rest of them. But that's a lot of movies, again, to be in Best Picture. But uh, Belfast, I love that Coda is one of my favorite movies of the year. Don't Look Up, I thought was great. Drive My Car, you love. But Dune... Uh, you're a huge Dune fan. Do you feel that Dune should be nominated for Best Picture of the Year? I do, uh, definitely. I mean, it wasn't necessarily, it, you know, it was in my top movies of the year. Uh, it wasn't in the top few, uh, whereas Drive My Car, I think, was number three. I'd have to look at my list again. But, uh, but I mean, I think it's a, an amazing cinematic achievement and, a, and, a, and, a, and an adaptation of an unadaptable book, as they say. And so really, the snub here for me is like, why the heck isn't Denis Villeneuve nominated for best director he was snubbed in that category which is insane correct so directing is belfast drive my car licorice pizza the power of the dog and west side story i watched west side story i still am i guess uh, i'm in the minority here where i'm like i don't think it's an oscar worthy uh, film but is it just steven spielberg because it's his name that's why he got the nomination i i, I don't know so out of directing, what, what are your thoughts? We got Belfast, Drive My Car, Licorice Pizza, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Well, I haven't seen, the problem with all of this is that it was in Saskatoon. We haven't been able to see Licorice Pizza yet, the new Paul Thomas uh, Anderson movie. Uh, it was supposed to play like, I, even on Christmas Day, I was planning to go. And it just, it's just been bumped and bumped and bumped from, uh, you know, the Roxy and and even the Cineplex and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan. I'd love to see him win. You know, Kenneth Branagh has apparently done a good job with Belfast. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, the director of Drive My Car. It's an amazing movie. And he made a three-hour movie, like, in, in imminently watchable, which is interesting. Yeah, I think I agree with you on Spielberg. Like, he's, it's, you know, it's... It, Maybe maybe you could call that you know best director, but not best picture, because uh, I'm sure there's you know a lot of decisions and, and choreography and stuff that went into that movie. Yeah. Uh, Jane Campion's an interesting one to me because I think she's probably it's probably 
you know, relatively in the lead for best picture for Power of the Dog. I didn't mind that movie, but I found it kind of slow. And I had to watch it twice. Uh, the first time I watched it, I was so bored. I'm like, what am I watching? And then after it was like, oh, it's the best movie of the year. We're gonna. So I watched it again. I'm like, yeah, okay. I was in a better mood the second time. So it was, uh, yeah, it's still, uh, I don't think is the, the number one movie. Like Licorice Pizza is still good because I went down to the United States and watched <laughs> it in the theater there. Um, and yeah, like, oh, oh, great movie. So I know we don't have a lot of time. So actors, we've got uh, Javier, uh, Javier Bardem uh, for Being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, for Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield, Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith, King Richard, and Denzel Washington, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Well, being the Ricardos, uh, I did not enjoy. And I think the casting was way off with Nicole Kidman. So I'm like, I, I don't know about any of these and who the front runner would be in this. I, I don't know. Like, do you know? I don't I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, probably Benedict Cumberbatch. I know, like I said, Power of the Dog. It got 12 nominations. We're going to see it a lot this year. Uh, I kind of like Andrew Garfield for this. And I it's it's for Tick, Tick, Boom. But I, is, is it kind of secretly for Spider-Man? I don't I don't know. But maybe uh, he's yeah. had a fun resurgence this year. So uh, like you know, any of these actors are great, but. Like Will Smith was great in King Richard. Denzel Washington was great in The Tragedy of Macbeth. But out of all of them, I'm looking, well, one doesn't just jump out at me this year to go, oh, well, if he doesn't win, like, OMG. No, and uh, an actress, we've got Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman, blah, for being the Ricardos and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. I, you know, the, the actress categories are always so much more interesting to me than the actor ones. And I, I'm not even sure why, but I, I haven't seen the eyes of Tammy Faye. I know Jessica Chastain's a great actress. Olivia Coleman, I like love un unconditionally in anything she makes. Uh, Penelope Cruz is always great. Kidman I like, but you know, I think you're right. Sometimes she's on and off. Uh, Kristen Stewart to me is the, probably the most interesting one in this category, uh, just because so many people, you know, still think of her as that Twilight uh, actress, but, you know, her and Robert Pattinson have both taken on a lot of great indie roles in, in these sort of times since those movies have ended. Spencer was uh, probably my number one movie of the year, again, having not seen Licorice Pizza and a, and a, and a few others, but, uh, and I think, you know, she doesn't necessarily capture Lady Diana in this, but she brings something else to it. And I think it's a, a, a just a, a great performance. So uh, probably I'd like to see Kristen Stewart or Olivia Coleman take that one. Yeah, I think Olivia Coleman or uh, Penelope Cruz in this one uh, would be, I would think just after reading a few things on the internet, be the front runners. But I'm with you. I would go uh, Kristen or Olivia. Jessica was great, but the movie was bad. Right. So like eh, so you're great in a bad movie eh, you don't deserve an award uh so i'm guessing the rest of these we would talk about closer to the oscars when we tell everybody what our picks are because sure. uh, i'm sure we're running out of time here but i'm still come on west side story I, I i don't know i don't know the uh the funny thing was like i was looking through some of the snubs and surprises and Kristen stewart was definitely mentioned as a surprise uh because a lot of these you know she didn't land the uh sag nomination but the one that they were calling a snub, I thought was funny. Uh, it's actually two from the same movie, Lady Gaga and yes, from, uh, Jared Leto uh, yeah. from House of Gucci, Gucci, Goo. But uh, Lady Gaga, she was nominated for BAFTA, Critics' Choice Award, Golden Globe, SAG. Uh, but so usually, you know, that's a precursor to your nomination for an Oscar. But uh, I guess the Oscar saw through all of that because 
the she's basically like doing a Dracula accent for the entire movie. And the same could yep. go for Leto. Like he's unrecognizable in his prosthetics and everything, which is cool, but he's just gonzo. He's chewing the scenery through the whole thing. So, you know, they're calling that uh, a snub as well. But I'm like, I don't really think that's much of a snub. So well, I thought that uh, the my biggest one was that Katrina, I forget how to pronounce her last name, Belfe Belf from Outlander. So she's in uh, Stars in Belfast. Right. Well, she didn't get a nomination and I, I think she should have so that's the one French Dispatch not getting nominations is kind of weird same with uh, Come On Come On and Red Rocket uh, I thought that was weird that nothing from those movies is really showing up there yeah and, especially uh, Come On Come On like that one could be really good Oscar bait yeah and then my uh, one of my favorite movies of the year Pig with uh, my buddy Nick Cage there of course they don't have a budget to campaign for anything so it would never be in there but uh, that, that would have been nice show some love for the piggies well it almost feels like a lot of these movies are like chosen to garner a uh, a telecast audience you know what i mean we're like you know like again the west side story king richard movies like that like we're, we're throwing out i mean i'm glad drive my cars in there and, and and licorice pizza but like we're throwing out some you know really great movies that did come out this year in favor of some stuff like that and, and, and i mean that happens every year but it's like i don't know uh i think one of the other interesting snubs was leonardo dicaprio for don't look up and i know that movie was a bit divisive but he is great in that movie uh, he was really good and jonah hill too jonah hill was great in that movie yeah exactly like jonah hill was was good uh, Meryl Streep I mean maybe they're just tired of giving it to Meryl Streep every year but she was yeah, she's one enough come on yeah I mean there's a whole great cast in that movie that props the movie up a lot more and makes it sort of better than what was on the script I think but and I know like I said I haven't seen Licorice Pizza yet but I know Bradley Cooper uh, was considered a snub for playing uh, Barbara Streisand's paramour John Peters the he was actually a Hollywood producer in real life he got a SAG nomination and it looked like he was going to be on track for another uh, Oscar nom but didn't yeah, I don't know if I go like I mean that movie is like my favorite movie of the year like it was so good but he's hardly in the movie right yeah it would be one of those like supporting actor quick nods basically but uh he did actually walk away with a nomination though as a producer on nightmare alley so so we are about out of time is there anything else you want to mention about the oscars are you going to do a big oscar party this year Oh, my big Oscar party is going to be uh, probably uh, sitting here with uh, my sister where uh, she will go and uh, randomly select things and she'll beat me and then I'll be embarrassed and then I'll have to say on the internet that she won again for some weird reason that every year it's like I don't last year we tied I think which was awesome but I I don't understand like I watched all, all of these movies except for uh, one which I will watch before uh, the Oscars and she see maybe two of them and she'll win like I, just, I don't understand it's frustrating I know how much work goes into prognostication because I do it myself and sometimes have the same experience with my wife or mother-in-law but uh, that's our time for today so I'm going to throw back to Jody here so we'll say see you next week from Hank and Craig on Punch Radio. Okay thank you guys so Valentine's is around the corner and uh, we thought it might be interesting to kind of give you a few picks of some comics or movies that we really like Um, so I'm going to lead things off with a few reads it's kind of romantic to read a comic with somebody, you know, yeah. it's like you read it and you pass it on and you sit together or you can like some, you could even narrate it together. We, we've done that and it's kind of goofy and fun, but good. I, I believe the uh, Fantastic Four, early Fantastic Four really works well for that. Well, I mean, and you can watch a movie together without necessarily being physically close to one another. But I mean, if, if you want to, you know, facilitate some snuggle, 
you can't read the same comic as somebody else without at least bumping elbows. That's, so. that's true. So yeah, you can get close to somebody. So here's a few picks that you might want to consider. Right off the bat, Alex and Ada by Jonathan Luna and Sarah Vaughn. It's about a guy who gets like a robot and they fall in love. And it's sort of about, you know, sentient rights and being able to, uh, Call the shots. It's a it's an interesting world, and it is a nice little comic. I think it's three uh, trade paperbacks altogether. Definitely worth picking up. Uh, Patience by Dan Klaus. This came out about uh, four or five years ago, and it is a time travel saga in which a couple who very much are in love. Something really bad happens. I won't tell you what. And one of them ends up going back to try to find their way prior to solve everything so that, you know, maybe they can be together. But it's a, it's a long haul getting there and a lot of adventures in between, but really, really good. Last week, we talked about The Return of Saga by Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples. And that is an awesome love story. Really, really great story. So check that out. And also by Brian K. Vaughan, Why the Last Man? Last Man on Earth? He's got a girlfriend and he basically spends his time trying to reconnect with her. It's very romantic. And uh, lastly, I'll mention Incredible Doom by Matthew Bogart, which is young people in the early days of the internet. But there's a nice little story of these two people who connect through that and then eventually find each other. And it's, it's a really cute, nice little story. Incredible Doom would be a good like date for like couples that met online but are now sharing the same physical space yes and yeah. you could you, you can if you can't share the same physical space you can read it online so you could both read it together but separately and still have this kind of romantic comic adventure so those are my valentine's picks dave what have you got on the uh should we go comics or movies movies okay well my top valentine's movie pick would be incredibly cheesy but incredibly safe if you want a valentine's movie this year and one or both halves of your couple have not seen the princess bride i think that is probably the most like there are a lot of romantic movies you can watch together but some might get too dark or some might get too twisted or some might get too sappy but the princess bride is funny all the way through you're constantly laughing it is a really romantic classic story that everybody should see. Plus you get a little bit of uh, Peter Falk and uh, uh, Fred, uh, Savage. Fred Savage, like in the frame narrative, yeah. popping back in every once in a while. Most of the other movies that I thought about as possible Valentine's Day picks, I, I'm just a little bit afraid to talk about on the air because of what they'll say about me and my <laughs> various like romantic leanings and thing, things like that. But another maybe not so safe one that maybe hasn't aged super well would maybe be like uh, Ioni Sky and John Cusack and say anything. I'd have to rewatch it again, but you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there is, it does get a little bit stalkery in, in the, uh, yeah. the, the famous boombox scene. So you can look at it and just say, okay, well, that's not a romantic movie anymore because Lloyd Dobler is a stalker. Or you can say that Lloyd Dobler is like a level-headed guy whose romance for that character, uh, I want to say Diane. I don't remember. Is so deep that he's just, you know, he's, he's pushed to that Peter, Peter Gabriel scored edge. Okay. And that it's all about the depths of his feelings. Sure. Okay, we have one minute left, Brennan. We have one minute left, Brennan. Do you want to add anything to our list? 
Uh, very quickly, the first one I thought of, The Super Prisoners of Love from DC Comics Presents 1981. Superman and Wonder Woman are hit by an arrow from Eros, and they fall in love, and they have to use science to try to cure themselves of love. That was the only time I remember as a kid watching them like try to fight against each other because they, they love each other, and I think they kissed in that one. And the new human target, one, is awesome, and two, he's now falling in love with ice that he's helping out. Now we have this complicated love story happening. So there we go. Complicated love stories all around. And throw in true romance for a movie. Why not? Oh, yeah. Ooh, that, yeah. that is a good one. That's, that's, that's a fun, exciting, little left-of-center romance movie. Yeah, a little bit violent for some, you know, of those shyer folks, but a great story for sure. And I forgot to mention this earlier, but, like, the original Superman movie, Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, that's, that's got some really good, solid romance stuff in it if you want to nerd out on Valentine's Day in, in a little bit of a retro style. That you got that right. All right. Well, that wraps it up for our Valentine's Day punch special. You know where to find us next week, Friday at 6, here on CFCR 90.5 FM.